certainly I was also one of these people that wasn't connecting the dots for myself in my own life with some of the problems that I had with sleep and some of these other health implications. And once I solved my sleep problem, then a lot of these other things that were unexpected benefits fell into place. Some of us are just born with these incredible talents for things. And I've never really thought about sleep as one of those things. It's just something that some of us have it. We're good with it. We don't need a lot of it. Or we just naturally uh, fall into a great sleep rhythm and everything just works out. But for most of us, especially the hard drivers, right, the high achievers, it's something that we end up trading the quality of it a lot and we pay for it. So today's guest really gets into saying sleep is a skill. It's something that we have to learn, uh, something we have to consciously put our energy into. And she says on the other side of us learning it, we end up achieving a sense of fulfillment, a, a sense of physical presence in our life that we wouldn't be able to have otherwise. So I, I hope you take the invitation to learn how to really see sleep in a completely different way. Welcome to the dream beyond. I'm your host, Nick Tarasio. I'm a CEO, musician, and overall seeker of truth, inspiration, and simply put, how to live the most fulfilling life possible. Growing up surrounded by extremely wealthy and successful people gave me unique and unfiltered perspectives of those who have seemingly made it. And on The Dream Beyond, we're letting you in on what it really takes to achieve your dreams, what happens when it turns out your destination isn't the promised land you were expecting, and how to process the lessons from your past while mapping a course to true fulfillment. Let's get started. Hey everybody, I'm here with the visionary behind Sleep is a Skill. She's revolutionized the approach to achieving restful sleep. She has a degree in psychology from Syracuse University and a wealth of hands-on experience. She stands at the forefront of sleep science poised to revolutionize the way we approach our nightly rest, which I could definitely use. I'm really glad to be talking about it. Uh, she also has the number two sleep podcast, has written a popular weekly sleep newsletter for over five years, is partnered with luxury hotels and lifestyle brands, coaches the world's top poker players, and has appeared on over 150 podcasts. So please welcome overachiever, Molly Eastman. Thank you for <laughs> Love being that here, Molly. intro. Well, thank you for those kind of words. And also, you're not alone in the want and quest uh, for great sleep. So we're going to have fun in this conversation for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, I wanted to start off with the question of what you wanted to be when you were little, when you thought of like who you'd be when you grew up. What was the dream? Oh, man, that's so funny. Um, so a couple things. One, it was also environment-based. So the thinking, I grew up in middle of nowhere, Maine, uh, poor, lived in a trailer, you know, just had no extra, you know, the extra piece wasn't really there. So for a lot of it, it was to get to New York City. Um, for some reason, there was a pull towards PR and advertising. I have no idea where that got into my brain. But <laughs> I think part of it was probably like a shame factor of, having been embarrassed of growing up with, you know, not a lot of money. And so I would do a lot around trying to package and market myself in a particular way to not have those things lead in the conversation of, you know, who you know yourself to be. So I think there was some version of that 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 might have, you know, came from potentially. Now, how did that like, how do you connect the dots between that and what you do now? Like, I mean, is, is the sleep thing full time for you at this point? Oh, yeah. So um, how I would connect the dots with that are one, 
the everything I'm doing um, is under this umbrella of behavioral change. And certainly, I think one of the defining pieces that really moves me with the work that I do, the family that I grew up in, there was a lot of narratives around um, kind of a fixed state and, uh, you know, a want to be able to take on great things and do great things, but it kind of a sense of like, oh, well, you know, you're born into these particular uh, ways of being. And yet one thing that I think is really empowering, um, even from the sleep perspective, and, you know, we'll certainly get into the far-reaching tentacles in which sleep can impact virtually every aspect of your life. Um, but I think this kind of flipping the switch to how can we use sleep as a starting point to transforming the workability of our lives and what's possible for us. Um, and I think that's been a really empowering place to stand that I might not have had where I had grown up and also the, you know, school I went to and the people that I was around were just great people. And yet um, kind of dealing with financial um you know, kind of uh, a a lack of optionality is what it felt like, I think, for a lot of individuals. And so there's particular paths and caps on what's possible. And so I think some of those can apply to behavioral change and certainly sleep. So let's create some pain for myself and everybody else then, because I, I imagine that, you know, it's like there's all this stuff out there that's like, you should eat well and you should exercise and you should sleep well. And it's like, we all know we're supposed to do it. But to the point of behavioral change, it's hard to get it to move. And so how can you create some pain for us? Can we get into like, why should anyone actually care about optimizing sleep? Uh, yeah, that's a really great point. Well, one, to begin, we know that so many people are, we're at this ac epidemic level of sleep deprivation, of just poor, um, as far as even the duration of sleep, let alone the quality, and certainly the quality is, uh, clearly impaired for a number of people as as it relates to some of our understanding of um, a number of factors that would reflect poor sleep. And we know that virtually every area of life, and I do these talks and talk about um, you know poor sleep and ways that we can optimize it. And I've still yet to come across a room where anyone can really share with me a domain of life that is not negatively impacted when our sleep isn't working as well as we might like it to. But certainly we know um, that it it kind of reaches its way into our cognitive health. It reaches its way into certainly our mental health. It reaches way into physical health, immunity, cardiovascular, um, you know, cancer risk, so many things that we can get clear on having its link to sleep. And certainly I was also one of these people that wasn't connecting the dots for myself in my own life with some of the problems that I had with sleep um, and some of these other health implications. And once I solved my sleep problem, then a lot of these other things that were unexpected benefits fell into place. But certainly, even if we just talk about one factor of that sleep dur duration piece, we do know in a large-scale study, a meta-analysis that came out uh, a few years back, that even consistently sleeping less than six hours puts us at risk for a number of things, including heart disease, 
stroke, diabetes, cognitive decline, and my favorite, death from any cause, uh, just from sleeping at a lower number of hours. It's just the hours piece, although there are many people that are sleeping more hours than that, but are also at risk for some of those same things because of the poor quality of sleep. So there's many angles to get at that impact. Beyond that, there are over 100 sleep disorders that are lurking that people might have no idea they are dealing with um, and running around undiagnosed and impacting their quality of life. You know, I haven't moved on from the death by any cause. Once oh, you yeah, said right? that, I was like, just like <laughs> death by shark attack. You're like, damn it, you should have slept more. It was less likely you'd have a shark attack. Well, when we think of, um, you know, the kind of insidious ways that poor sleep can, you know, fall out is unfortunately very common things. Car accidents, just unfortunate, um, you know, accidents on the job, all these other things that when we look back and, you know, you see of these horrible wreckages and, you know, uh, train wreckage or uh, flights or what have you, then we often peel back there. Oh, the person fell asleep at the wheel, the person this, that, and that. Uh, and yet it's become part of our society and might not necessarily uh, realize that this is uh, not necessarily need. It doesn't necessarily need to be this way. Yeah. I mean, in my aviation training, I'm a, I'm a pilot and a mechanic. So we do a lot of training on like <laughs> casual, uh, the casual influence of sleep deprivation as it relates to accidents. Right. It's like because it's like a Swiss cheese model, like a, a hundred things go wrong and then it creates a, a bad situation. And it's like looking for that sleep deprivation seems to be at the at the heart of a lot of this stuff. Now, you said something else. You said below six hours. And again, so I have the aura ring. Yeah. Uh, and I've always wondered, is it six hours of a certain kind of sleep? Or like the aura ring will say my total sleep time is X, but the efficiency of it was this much when I'm actually asleep and not awake. So like yoga nidra, time laying in bed, like is there clarity on that? Because I imagine many of us beat ourselves up and go, well, was I really sleeping for six? Oh, such a good point. Yes. And there are the, some of those nuances, and it does appear that certain things can help support during these times when for all of us at some point throughout our life, you know, new parents or um, kind of added stressors or job promotion or whatever, uh, that there might be certain periods of time that your sleep is coming into question as far as its uh, effectiveness. And so you might supplement with, say, naps during certain periods, yoga nidra to your point. Um, Andrew Huberman coining the non-sleep deep rest protocol has been helpful for different ways of um, helping to language how we can bring back some more restorative time throughout the course of our day. But we do still see that from a kind of uninterrupted stretch of time, uh, it does appear to have some different qualities than this, you know, kind of patchwork of grabbing some extra sleep here and there. I know those are certainly beneficial and helpful and can be and help supplement. Uh, and yet we do still want to make sure we're getting that core sleep. And we do find that when we start from that core sleep piece, getting much below those six hours is where for many people things start to go awry. It's certainly a Goldilocks piece of how much total sleep do you need. 
uh, and that can get more into the weeds. It's almost a you know akin to a shoe size. You know, it's different depending on the person uh, and different parts of your life. If you're training for a marathon, you might have a bit more of a sleep need at certain periods than you will when you're working from home, kind of sedentary and what have you. Um, so there may be a bit of an accordion model element. And then as you age through different seasons of your life, then some of this could shift a little bit. But by and large, there is a reason that so often it is said seven to nine hours for healthy adults is kind of what we're shooting for most routinely. So that seven to nine hours, though, is it's, it's like, is that time in bed or is that truly like I went to sleep at this time and then I woke up at this time? And yeah, there were some wake ups in there, but I was more than six hours of actual sleep because I was in bed for seven to nine hours. So our goal with that seven to nine hours is that that is sleep time and that we're getting really good at that sleep efficiency and sleep efficiency being uh, the time in bed and the time and kind of pulling out of that time, that sleep opportunity that you gave yourself, how much of that time was actually sleep. And if we're seeing really low numbers on some of our wearables, and certainly uh, you pointed to your O-ring, and that's one of the, right now, for sleep is a skill for years, we've had that be our main sleep wearable that every person we're working with is utilizing, although we often see Whoop and Biostrap and Garmin and Apple and all these other things. Uh, but with all of them, we're looking to train for uh, really quality sleep efficiency in kind of a Goldilocks element. You don't want it too high either because that can also represent that you're sleep deprived and that the minute you're getting into bed, you're falling right asleep, which can be a big red flag that something might also be wrong with your sleep. You might be sleep deprived or having undiagnosed um, sleep disorders or otherwise. But largely you want to, of that time that you're in bed, we want to know how much time are you actually asleep versus just laying there, which unfortunately happens for many people. Yeah. Well, uh, a buddy of mine said to me not that long ago, he was saying that uh, everything that came natural to us as children, as we get older, it's like actually hard work to do it. Whatever that thing is, like enjoying food, sleeping, right. having Play. fun. We have to like schedule Relax all yeah. of that and everything is so intentional. So I, I, I like the way you talk about sleep as a skill set and as you were speaking, it was like, oh, another thing I need to get really good at. But like, I, I, I see <laughs> the value in it, right? That. It's like such like a core yeah. thing to need to do. So where does one start? Like, so someone's bought it, right? Like they're hearing this talk and they're going, I get it. Yeah. I kind of suck at sleep. I bought the wearable. I don't even know what the hell any of it means. What do I do yeah. from here? Yeah, such a great call out. And one, yes, I hope anyone listening, no matter where you're at, if you're you know, doing okay with your sleep, if you're struggling, or if you're a fine sleeper and like to see how you could get to the next level, no matter where you are on that spectrum, I hope that that is the, you know, uh, takeaway is that sleep is a skill and that, you know, even if you're having a certain level of mastery in a particular area, we can always take that skill set to the next level. Um, so where do you begin? Well, one of the places that we have people begin is in this conversation of circadian rhythm entrainment. Uh, and fancy series of words to really have us pull back and start to think about the fact that we are diurnal creatures, meaning that we're meant to be active by day and at rest at night. And we do see very clear things starting to go off kilter when we start deviating from that. And our examples often are of shift workers, quite uh, obviously, of people that are just doing their their day-to-day -day work, but they're doing it at kind of those upside down times to our biology. Uh, and we're thankful for them. They're crucial to our society and 
Um, we do see that there are very clear deleterious health effects quite often in that group, which can look like um, cancer rates going up in particular things like diabetes or uh, cancer in the types of breast cancer and um, pancreatic cancer are two that seem to really respond negatively to circadian disruption. And again, that circadian disruption is this 24-hour cycle that we're all meant to be operating within and that it can get a little funky based on our behaviors. Beyond cancer risk, then there are risks of diabetes, our risk of mental health dysfunction, uh, as well as, of course, our sleep-wake uh, cycle being uh, kind of not quite as attuned as we would like to have it. So what are the practical applications for the average person? Uh, well, one, we want to entrain this circadian rhythm to make it really strong so that a lot of this just all happens automatically and we don't have to kind of force sleep in the same way that we're seeing for a lot of people because so many people will say, well, what? You know, I just can't get my brain to turn off or I might fall asleep for a couple hours and then I'm up. Yeah, you know, just that frustration around how can we turn off more consistently and reliably and for longer stretches of time. Uh, and instead, when we entrain this rhythm, often what we see work uh, or kind of as a fallout is that suddenly there's an automaticity where we're waking up at around the same time, getting sleepy at around the same time and not needing to then in the evenings pull all these extra meditation apps and, and those are great. You know, nothing wrong with those. Please, if those are working, use those. But that there's often a simplicity that comes from the workability of those rhythms. Uh, and so a lot of this then boils down to how can we create uh, and protect a workable structure for ourselves where we are aligned with these rhythms of nature, even in, you know, New York City, L.A., wherever the heck we might be and have all of this ability to have a 24-hour lifestyle, we're finding that that is very, very problematic to a number of things for our health and our sleep results. Um, so starting there. So what would a really practical piece of this be? Well, one, uh, we're often beginning with our how we begin with is our wake up time. So we're looking at how can we create a consistent wake up time around seven days a week uh, that also, you know, doesn't change on the weekends so that right then and there, we're uh, kind of creating a consistent cortisol pulse that's happening at about the same time every single morning. And that cortisol pulse is then tethered to our melatonin pulse at the end of our day. So then we're having this bookend and that since we're not then, you know, weaving all over the place with those wake up times or bedtimes, then those get to stay really strong. And those kind of help with the um, bookmarking of our days. But paired with that consistent wake-up time, you want to also marry that consistent wake-up time with bright light exposure that is having you physically get outside when you're pairing that with that uh, same wake-up time that you're doing consistently. And that you're getting that outside without your sunglasses, without hats on, all of these other things so that it directly gets into your eyes uh, for an extended period of time to entrain and reset that master clock known as a suprachiasmatic nucleus directly connected to our eyes, acts as this master conductor to these peripheral clocks that are in virtually every cell and organ in our body. And then those are allowed are able to then stay on time for that rest of that day, but it requires that resetting every single day. So that can be one solid place to begin. So let me see if I understood that well, which is 
I need to get light in my eyes to really train the body in the morning. It's like basically as fast as I reasonably can when I wake up yeah. to start getting the body to lock it. But does that Definitely. not work through windows? Exactly. Very good point. So if anyone's watching this video, I have a lot of windows behind me. And if I was to rest on my laurels and say, well, you know, there's some light coming in here, so I'm fine. Um, that would be doing a disservice to this strengthening goal of strengthening our circadian rhythm because there are studies that find that it takes anywhere from 50 to 100 times longer to reset our master clocks from behind a window. Why? Because they are, the windows that most of us have are cutting out certain spectrums of light that we need to have present to really communicate to the body what time it is and what to be doing when. You can have an entire podcast on the physics of light and the difference of light that we experience throughout the course of the day. But really important lights, you know, I talked about the bookends of hormones from cortisol and melatonin pulse, but there's also kind of the bookends of our light pulsing. So our morning light is really has that pinky hue for a reason because it's rich in that infrared light stretching across the horizon. And that type of light tells the body something really important. It tells it that it's morning light. Okay, it's time to take on this day. It's a natural, uh, you know, kind of coffee, if you will, to take on the rest of uh, with energy and gusto to take on the rest of your day. Uh, and then it will change throughout the course of the day. So that morning light becomes very different than solar noon light, which is some of your brightest light of your day directly above you. And that's going to be more rich in a different set of spectrums and have that blue light present, wake promoting, activating kind of the dopamine hit. Uh, whereas then when you get to your sunset, that's another time where it's stretching across the horizon. Now it's pinky again and has that infrared rich light. A lot of people buy these, um, you know, red light panels like this is a red light panel. Um, and, you know, people will get some of these, but you can also get it for free by going outside and being present to that infrared light as well. And that sunset light also helps communicate to the body that we're setting ourselves up for night. So now we're going to be shifting over to the production of melatonin soon, and that can help downregulate our uh, the activity within our body, including our brain activity. So for those people that are saying, oh, I just can't turn off my brain. And by the way, I was one of them when I was dealing with my sleep issues. And subsequently, if I looked back at my habits, I was not connected in any remote sense to any of these rhythms of nature at all. Uh, and that was playing a role for myself. And I see that all the time for clients that they're doing this upside down dance. So we've had, um, we just had recently a subject matter expert from NASA on the podcast speaking to this assertion that the average person is hanging out in environments by day that are on average about three times too dark for our biology and by night around three times uh, too bright for our biology. So it's really living in this upside down world and it's giving us completely counter cues to what we want to uh, facilitate. Now, why am I spending so much time about light? Well, because we're talking about circadian health. This is all out of the world of chronobiology, the science of time and how time affects our biology. It turns out there are these things that you want to get familiar with called zeitgeibers, fancy word for time givers. And these time givers are telling the body information about what time it is and what to be doing when. And it turns out the body is always trying to understand what time is it. And so it's sampling the environment based on the visual cues, but also uh, some of our behaviors. But the most important zeitgeber of this world of chronobiology and circadian health is light dark. 
Uh, and part of the reason we assume is because it's it, our eyes are directly connected to that suprachiasmatic nucleus. And that's one of the best ways for us to get a sense of what time it is and what to be doing what. Historically, it's only been about 144 years since Edison created, um, or we believe, uh, invented the light bulb. And so for those 144 years, it's pretty small blip in the, you know, kind of creation of human beings on this planet. For hundreds of thousands of years, we're living without that intervention of this full light. So we would have had to have been tethered to those rhythms uh, just, you know, by proxy. And yet now in the last 144 years, we've divorced ourselves from that nature component, gone indoors, and therein lies a lot of the problems. And the numbers look something like in 2001, the EPA did a study and they found that the average person in America was spending about 93% of their time indoors. Uh, and that also shook out to between inside and in automobiles, which even in an automobile, unless you crack your window, which I do suggest to do. But if you don't crack your window, then you're still in this indoor man-made environment. And that is cutting you off from these rhythms of nature. So that was 93% back in 2001 before a pandemic, before you know wow. smartphones, Netflix. So it's probably like way higher now. And there is part of why we are having such a problem is really our own self-created conundrum of the, you know, uh, comforts of modernity. And yet they are messing with these rhythms more than we might realize. Science. Oh, man. <laughs> but um, yes, exactly. I, I, I recently saw one of your um, posts on social where you spoke about the need to try to hold the same wake up time. Oh, and yes. I was so mad. I was just <laughs> like, please not you be true. You weren't alone. There were some other people that didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't troll you or anything. I didn't say anything negative on there. You're just but quietly like, what? Yeah, quietly Get like, this can't be cancel. right. Um, yeah, hard no. Um, <laughs> hard no. I think part of that goes back to like, you know, I think of, again, I'm a pilot, right? Like, so uh, we're violating yeah. a bunch of rules. When, when you're talking about the idea of, yes, light is relatively new, uh, for people also flying through time zones yeah. is a super new thing. You really couldn't move a horse that fast. So it was like, no. we've done so much stuff to our bodies and kind of going back to the idea of what about for someone who's like, there is, again, I do parts work. So like a part of me is like, what a boring way to live. I don't want to be in this, like, got to go to sleep now and then got to get up this time every, every day. Yeah. But like, it's a Friday night. I want to go out and be with people or sure. I go through another time zone or whatever that is like, what? What is someone supposed to do with that information? Is it more like, hey, just try to be as good as you can about it? Or no matter what time you go to go to sleep, wake up at the same time, even if it sucks. Like, it's, what, what's the better way to manage that? So good. Well, thank you, one, for saying that, because that is the real deal. Because people can hear um, some of these call-outs, but unless we are able to comply, then it doesn't really matter. Uh, so one, by you sharing that, that's really helpful because we can get into like, how can we navigate this? So one... I would say for the travel piece, I absolutely recommend uh, an app called Time Shifter for anyone that is going to be shifting time zones uh, frequently or is has anything on your calendar coming up. I would download that app, no affiliation, but getting that and putting in your flight itinerary 
what's really cool is that it's uh, purporting to then help you time shift like a verb. And this is really what we would do for any time where maybe you do have something coming up that you are not willing to, you know, kind of budge on and you got a big, I don't know, wedding and you need to stay up really late or some celebration, something. So even for those, we'd almost plan to time shift like a verb for those activities and for certainly our flight travel um, that has us jumping for real into different time zones, not just our own self-made ones. So those will help guide you through things that you can do through the light dark piece. Um, also, if you use the world of chronopharmacology, which is meaning the timing of drugs and when we're administering those. So that could look like as simple as administering caffeine at certain times if you do that, um, melatonin at certain times if you do that. And we do have um, studies to support that for jet lag. And so that could be an option for people. But then also some of our behaviors that we can bring in and otherwise. So that's also applies for shift workers too. They do now have a new app for shift workers. So you can put in your shifts and uh, kind of set yourself up as powerfully as possible. But then for the rest of us that might be dealing with kind of social jet lag, as it's known, I feel like it needs a new name um, because we also saw during COVID that sometimes we wouldn't even be socializing. We'd just be inside with ourselves. Uh, and then people, you know, we would just start staying on our phones later or watching a show or whatever. Uh, and then we would be staying up much markedly later, sleeping in markedly later. And to your point, wanting to have some of that variety. So a couple of ways that we could think about this. One um thing that I cite a lot is that we had a kind of sleep anthropologist on the podcast years back, uh, David Sampson, and he spoke to this conversation of sleep capital versus social capital. Uh, and so I like to think about this on the times where I am going to deviate is that you're aiming to set up your life most of the time to really support your sleep capital so that maybe almost like a, if you will, Pareto's principle um, you know, 80, 20, hopefully more than that, ideally, like 90, 10, maybe something along those lines. But for the most part, you are really taking care of your sleep capital, making dividends, really supporting it, prioritizing it, et cetera. But then every so often, from an anthropological perspective, the thinking is that since we are such social creatures, there can be an argument that could be made for engaging with the quote unquote tribe of yours. Uh, and actually having some of those, you know, festivities, celebrations, things that you would do that would keep you out later. And then you're going to uh, bring yourself back on time, have all of these tricks of the trade that you've now acquired with this skill set of sleep. So you know how to quickly get yourself back on time. So when you do invest in that social capital, uh, then you can actually make the mental argument that that's going to help support your sleep because we know loneliness and sleep are definitely correlated. And we certainly saw that uh, during COVID. Uh, we are social beings and we are meant to, you know, engage in some of this. So it can be a way to periodically deviate. But then how do we quickly get back on track without suffering for extended periods of time unbeknownst to us? Because there are things we can do to kind of quickly get back on track. Man, you know a lot of stuff, I got to say. Like it's... Uh... I Born came in thinking from like my own uh, breakdowns with sleep. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I mean it's the kind of thing where again, like I know that there's all this sleep science, rationally yeah. speaking, but I sure. feel all the resistance in my body as I'm like, this is going to be hard work. And now that I know it, I can't not do something about it. I'm like, <laughs> I kind of want to put a big warning on this podcast. Like, do <laughs> not listen to this if you want to just enjoy your sleep uh, the way you used to do it. Like, just it's fine because okay. you're going to listen to this and we're going to mess it all up for you. 
I love that. So a quick call out about that is that before I went through my own kind of sleep breakdown, I really honestly didn't think that much about my sleep beyond just a a lot of labels and narratives. And I would say things like, I'm a short sleeper. I'm a night owl. It's in my genes. I'll sleep when I'm dead. What's the big deal? Sleep in. Who cares? I make my own schedule. Not a problem. Be justified and righteous about all of it. Uh, and yet not connecting that how I was behaving with that and not being aware of some of these things actually uh, kind of spilled into my experience of life. And so what things would look like was a lot of um, emotional instability, anxiety, waking up, just feeling zombie-like. I got a lot of headaches uh, during this period when I was having insufficient sleep. Some people might have different symptoms, um, but uh, there can just be the coloring of how you're viewing the world can be massively impacted. We know this to be true as far as just even um, your ability, your interpersonal communication. I know we both are connected with um, Blake. So my husband, I know, is part of our connection point. And one of the things he does is about how to read faces. And we know that even our ability to read faces is impacted when we have poor sleep. Uh, so the list goes on and on. So what I now say, some of the ways that I relate to my life is that I'm addicted to feeling good because I never used to think it was possible for me. I thought that that was just how life was because that's how it always been for me. Uh, not knowing that, wait, I can wake up feeling rested and <laughs> actually feel good on a consistent basis. I have consistent energy levels and put things in my calendar and actually have account audible reliability that I can show up in a state to be able to fulfill on those things. Yeah. I didn't even think that was like available. So then what I find for people, especially as we get into the game of uh, bringing some metrics into this and, you know, my poker players love this because they're so gamified. And so they take really well to the metrics piece. Then once we start actually improving our baseline on so many of these factors, then they start over time, unbeknownst to them, as the time goes on, start gravitating to these behaviors and start to protect their sleep way more than they ever thought they would have because now they don't want to feel that kind of crappy way that they always used to think was just life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, really, like I said, it's normally I'm like much more upbeat on a podcast and I'm just so excited. Yes. And this one yeah. is just like, a, I have so much work to do. Like, I really do <laughs> feel that coming into it because it's true. I've noticed, I mean, part of the reason I got the aura ring was it was some, that was kind of my first time of being really intentional. And in my twenties, I had tons of weird sleep stuff. I was sleeping like four hours and 16 minutes a night on average. I had parasomnias. I went to NYU for a sleep study where they were like, Nick, the average person who gets hooked up to this machinery takes about six minutes to go to sleep. You went to sleep in 22 seconds. And I'm like, I'm really good at sleep. And they were like, <laughs> no, no, you're not. <laughs> you have oh, sleep man. deprivation. So it's like, it took me about 15 or maybe 13 years after that to realize like, I actually have to take this seriously and I never verbalized it as sleep as a skill, but it's like the more and more I hear you speaking about it, the more I'm like, truly the life I want. And I was going to ask this as one of my later questions is like the life I want, the fulfillment I want to feel in my life may be in a major way blocked if I don't solve this piece of the puzzle. Because there is no worse I've ever felt in my life. And I've had a lot of bad things happen to me, but there is no yeah. worse I've ever felt than feeling like I can't sleep. I'm depressed. I don't even know what's wrong with my body. Like energetically, I don't have any energy. I'm just laying here miserable in my own thoughts in the middle of the night. Like what the hell is wrong with me? So yes. as you speak about this, it's like, I know damn well that 
this is something that I do need to optimize. And it's so intimidating because there's, again, there's like all this sciencey stuff and all this data. And I mean, I'm like a scientific person anyway. I like, I like all the data yeah. and I track everything. But somehow I just like wanted to believe in fairy tales that like just lay in bed and be okay and it's all going to work out. Your <laughs> body's just going to adjust and calibrate. I'm like, yeah, that may have been true in the forest 500 years ago. But like it may not work out so well with my current phone situation and television and the light I have on in my apartment. And so I'm just yeah. like, I'm processing my own self-rage, I think. I love that you just shared all that because that is so, I think, one, relatable uh, for so many of us. And two, and, and part of the beginning and genesis of any behavioral change is knowing uh, that we're having enough pain to warrant taking new steps often. I mean, it would be nice if we would take behavioral change steps just because, uh, but typically it usually does, it is born out of like, Ugh, well, finally I'm feeling the pain enough, so I'm going to start something new. And so one, I so appreciate you sharing that, but two, it's this is where sleep gets so trippy and philosophical because I also hope I don't leave people with feeling stressed at the same time about sleep because one of the things that we find as a key characteristic of insomniacs, now there's two very different buckets for uh, people that are struggling with sleep and sometimes they start to overlap, but um, two buckets can sometimes be just the group that maybe hasn't prioritized sleep or they got, you know, lots of circumstances or their new parents or whatever. Um, and they just, for whatever reason, the prioritization of sleep hasn't been high on the rungs. Uh, and then eventually they're saying, okay, fine, I'm going to start to prioritize this. That can be one particular group, but they don't really have trouble with how they're relating to their ability to fall asleep, stay asleep, et cetera. And then there's the group that really thinks deeply about this, almost sometimes to a problematic point, and that was kind of more me, uh, once I started going through that period of insomnia. And those can be the people that can lay there for hours and can't fall asleep. And or, unfortunately, sometimes it's both, and I dealt with this too, uh, then when they finally do fall asleep, now they're waking up a short period of time thereafter and now struggling to fall back asleep and or having early morning awakenings, and now they're just like up for the day. Uh, so that group, that insomnia group, one of the key components for them that we can often find is this kind of perfectionist tendencies, trying to get it right. It can feel overwhelming. Now they're learning all these things and feeling like they keep failing and almost goes into the realm of like performance anxiety. Uh, and then you can actually develop what can feel like sleep anxiety. And I certainly went through that and it would just uh, you start to get nervous around this time to go to bed and then fear of failure and all of these psychological things can go into it. So for anyone dealing with that, I don't want to land this like a you have to be super fixated on sleep. It's this fine line of caring about it, prioritizing it, um, you know, maybe getting curious about it. But then I hope that what we can create as a possibility is shifting the focus off of the nights, oddly, uh, and moving it to how we're starting our day and living our days. Uh, and from that place, then once we get to the nights, then it's an element of just sort of surrendering and accepting how things go. And then we can have the next opportunity the next day to, you know, test it all again. But it's an opportunity instead to reorient because I would make the argument that if we're not thinking about sleep at all, not really prioritizing it, and the only time we're thinking about it is once we get into bed, we it's too late. Don't even worry about it because now yeah. just get comfy because all the things that you're going to do to support getting great sleep actually happen in the light of day quite often. That's interesting. Yeah. And I, I think for me, being the 
life hacker that I am, it was surprising to find out that the thing that was actually the most effective was getting me excited about sleep. And it was lucid dreaming practice. Cause then they were oh, like, well, right. you need to do four to five hours in the first block and then wake up and do 90 minute chunks. And I'm like, I couldn't possibly do that in a six hour block of time. Like I would try to cram my sleep into. So I found myself yeah. slowing down and going like, wow, sleep almost becomes something I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Uh, but also I think that also comes with its own interruptions of like waking up in the middle of the night. But for me, that was kind of one of the shifts. And, uh, you know, again, I need to now reconcile with like how many nights a week am I willing to do that versus really do more of like sure. a clean, pure play. Like this is what I need to do to sleep. So with all that said, yeah, there's so much good stuff here. And again, I, I love your content. I actually read everything that goes by on my social feed that you put out. Cause I'm like, this is going to be something I need to hear that I don't want to hear, but I definitely need it. <laughs> and, love uh, it. you That's know, my, my, uh, my, my closing question to you is, you know, given this like amazing journey you've been on from, it sounds like, you know, a relatively interesting upbringing in rural Maine to yeah. working with people that are kind of doing everything from like, you know, world leading poker players to I'm sure it's a lot of entrepreneurs and people that are yeah. doing crazy shit in the world. Uh, what is your dream beyond? Like what's, what's, what's left for you to dream about going forward? And I, both in a literal and a metaphorical sense. I love that. That's amazing. Okay. So for me, I am, my life's mission at this point is to be able to help support people in kind of getting in the driver's seat with their sleep, not just because to get some numbers or anything, although that can be nice, um, but because I truly believe that for all of us, if we were to prioritize this area, that the world would look very different. Because in order for us to really get great sleep results, it really does take an overhaul of our life and the workability of our life. I often say that sleep is a barometer of the workability of our lives. And so many times, even when we think that, oh, well, we got this handled, then just wait, something happens. Uh, you know, you lose a loved one, you move, you this and the other, get sick, et cetera. And then often sleep can change in an in alignment with that. So then it takes new skill sets. Um, so for me, I want to um, kind of expand the aperture by which I'm sharing this message. Um, so I'm working on a book now. So that's an exciting new way to kind of get that message out um, and further democratize this conversation is what I would like to do. Because like I shared, I came from, you know, like kind of meager uh, background or upbringing. And certainly the me of then would have had no access to um, a lot of this information or certainly some of the ways that we're administering it with some of the people that we're working with that do have the means to really have a lot of hands-on um, guidance in the area of their sleep, which is amazing. And would like to see how can we get that more to the masses. So that's part of like the goal of what's next. So speaking on more stages. Um, so now this has become an international piece. So we're traveling, you know, all throughout to kind of share some of this message to different groups, but really looking to hopefully bring about some intrigue or interest uh, in various regards, hopefully not <laughs> too much uh, fearful content for people of an upset of, you know, what I'm putting out there. But Hopefully it becomes uh, a source of empowerment because what I know to be true on the other side of this is that we can interrupt so much of this divorcing of um, just kind of a our blueprint that came from ancestral health for so long, just being connected to some of these rhythms. And I think one of the things that I'm really passionate about is the mental health component because I shared when I was not 
living in alignment with this, my levels of anxiety and just the way I saw the world were so skewed. And that is very concerning for me. We have many more studies, even one most recently, I think that's interesting, that points to the mind after midnight. And this is a study that has been um, aptly named because it's finding that when we are deviating from uh, these rhythms of nature, anytime, say, you wake up at like three in the morning, you're thinking of all the horrible things that could happen in your whole life, uh, that we actually have some science as to the why that we even our thought patterns have a diurnal nature to them. And so they start to become more flawed logic based in the wee hours of the morning, whatever that time is for you. And suicidality rates go up during those time, depressive uh, like symptoms, anxiety, et cetera. Um, so the more we learn about this, it can give us more of a say. We don't have to feel like, you know, mystified as to why sometimes we feel a certain way. Sometimes we don't. We can learn about this and hopefully get interested and by the intrigue, then take some new steps. Beautiful. Well, thank you for doing this for everybody, because I do think, um, you know, clearly with the mental health epidemic that's going on in the world and just the way people are relating to technology and as you said like light interruptions and all all that like you know all the things you said before like uh oh, i'll sleep when i'm dead you know it's like oh, it, yeah. might, it might come sooner then like it just you know yeah, there's a lot exactly. of stuff to that so i uh, kind of the biggest stuff that i took away here that i, I i've never thought about sleep as capital like this concept of sleep mm -hmm. capital where it's like yeah we're taught Actually, that's another criticism. We're not really taught how to manage money properly in our schooling system. Right. But the idea of so like saying true. like I have financial capital, I have time capital, I have sleep capital, social capital. It's a really interesting thing to look at that and say if you had to assess your sleep capital, what would that really look like? So when you said it, that really that really hit something for me of interesting. And like if I was running out of money, I would know that there are particular actions and steps I can take to recover from like, oh, wow, I've overspent this month. I can adjust. When you talked about using time shifting and having the tools of like, okay, I've learned some of these uh, skills that I can use to get myself back to baseline, back to a good space. I've never really thought of it that way. So I think that was incredible to reframe that as well. And then going with the starting with the circadian rhythm. Again, I, I've heard of it. I've, I understand the concept of it. Like, you know, all the biology stuff I learned, but to really think about it as like, this is a thing to protect. And it's also something to really foster. I never even thought of like, what are the things that can reinforce the, what, what was the word? Automacy? Oh, automaticity. Automaticity. Yes. I never heard that word before. Yeah. So yeah, the automaticity of my circadian rhythm, like that idea of like, I actually can have this stuff start to work for me instead of working against me. And if I could learn what those skills are, that's really beautiful of like, yeah, I mean, I fly airplanes, autopilots are very helpful. So thinking yes. about it that way, like let's reinforce the system. So it just gives us the right inputs. Even when we screw up, the system is going to try to readjust and calibrate for us. And I think the biggest thing of everything you said is really just that invitation for like life's supposed to feel pretty amazing and our bodies are supposed to feel a lot of pleasure being in the experience of life. And if we're feeling drained or overwhelmed or tired or depressed or having like your middle of the night wake up suicidal ideation, like yeah. maybe start with sleep. And it's like, so this is the part that always is frustrating. It's like, yeah, it's sleep it's water, it's exercise. Like if I just were, if, if, yeah. if life doesn't feel great, if I go back to like, let me diagnose those three things and see, is it possible that any of these things are off? So I just think it's a really great reminder of this is important, but also there are tools and there are skills and there are ways to look at this differently that in the way you, like people have these financial tools in their computers, right? It's like I use 
uh, Mint or Monarch or all these things to track my finances, we should be leveraging the tools for something that is more important than that at the end of the day. It is truly more important for our happiness than the financial health that we have. So I just really appreciate that reminder. And uh, I'm just taking it all in. Just really trying to take (laughs) it all in. (laughs) Well, one, if that was a phenomenal kind of recap, that was so impressive. And two, I guess what I would also make sure I leave for the listener in case they're like, oh, wow, okay, so light and all these different topics, where do I begin? Um, Just a couple uh, key elements. One, I would uh, point to the fact that at least one uh, in four people we believe have sleep apnea, and we also speculate that that number could be rising and that that might be underestimating the number of people right now, sadly, that are running around with sleep apnea, and that's can be life-changing if we diagnose that. That's one of many um, sleep disorders. So one, if you're, um, you know, having some of those routine wake-ups, if you are falling asleep really quickly, um, and then if you are feeling fatigued throughout the course of the day, if you have morning headaches, if you wake up with dry mouth, some of all these different signs, it could be worth getting tested for sleep apnea. Do not uh, anticipate or rely on the fact that your primary care doctor would catch that. Nothing against primary care doctors, but unfortunately, they only on average get about two hours of training in sleep, despite the fact that we do this thing. A third of our lives, on average, 26 years of our lives are spent sleeping. And yet we, you know, the average doctor is getting about two hours of training on this thing um, and usually in major pathologies and not quite getting some of the clear signs that you might be running around with some undiagnosed um, sleep disorders. So it does behoove us right now until that system changes to learn a little bit about this, advocate for ourselves um, and even get at home testing. Things like Empower Sleep, Lofta, I have no affiliation with these companies, but they're, at least in the United States, uh, things that you can access at home for about 200 bucks. Uh, and then you can just go to sleep and put these on. One's a ring, one's more of like a watch. Uh, and then you can just wake up the next day and then be able to review some of um, that feedback with a trained um, sleep doctor. And they'll go over that with you or depending, some of them will be a, um, a representative, but depending on which company you go with. So that's one way to quickly um really have a life-changing step taken if you do have sleep apnea. Blake, who we both uh, know, discovered he has REM-dependent sleep apnea, which is a particular type of sleep apnea. And he doesn't even snore or have, you know, the oversized neck or overweight or any of those things. So a lot of people might not suspect that they have this and then they might have that. So that would be that step to take. Um, And then in the order of Um, Some of the things that people might be surprised that would impact their circadian rhythm. I mentioned light dark. One of the next ones is temperature, meal timing, exercise timing, thought timing, because we mentioned how our thoughts are have a diurnal pattern, as well as drug timing. So that chronopharmacology, very commonly the alcohol, the THC, different psychedelics, um, you know, or just coffee. Uh, certain things that we might be taking. And then, of course, pharmaceutical drugs, supplements. Uh, Some of these, if taken at the wrong time, wrong dosages, can also really impact our experience of life and our sleep-wake cycles. Uh, So all of those are out there and available for us to dive into. And yours might be unique. You know, for one person, it might be more about the thoughts that they're having. For another person, it might be clearly about 
the meal timing and, you know, late night eating or who knows. There's different things that could be lurking that could be impacting um, your sleep results, as well as environmentally, like where you choose to live, uh, what's in your bedroom, if you have mold present, um, if there's certain quality factors as far as uh, the type of bedding and you know temperature in your space. So the list goes on and on. But I share all that so that if if we didn't hit on some of these things, then just know that those are some things that might speak to you. And if any of those pop out, then those could be areas that you could kind of go down the rabbit hole and then explore and see, oh, if I change some of these, test some of these out, uh, move around my gym time or what have you, does that play a role in my sleep results? And that's where consumer grade trackers can really shine. But my point is to get everyone hopefully in this game of improving your sleep. Man, if only there were sleep coaches. like i get it i get it now like it's so funny if someone had told me years ago like there's a person who just helps people sleep better i'd be like really and then i hear all this stuff and i'm like oh my god we need more of you (laughs) we need more of you this is so that's the problem there's only around seven thousand sleep professionals in the united states with millions of people uh, so yeah. on how to on the ground implement some of these things. And sadly, of those sleep professionals, a lot of them have two toolkits. They have get you tested for sleep apnea. And if you don't have sleep apnea, buy or uh, do CBTI, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Um, now, not to discount because there are, certainly are some professionals super cutting edge. But sadly, some of the old school approaches were just those two things. And if you, those didn't work for you, you know, good luck. Wow. Well, I could truly go on for days on this because my mind is like a sponge for like, tell me all the things. Uh, But, you know, I think what I'll recommend to myself is what I'll recommend to everybody else, which is like truly go follow Molly on on Instagram. Like that content's useful. Sign up for her newsletter. You could go to sleepisaskill.com. You could also get a free sleep assessment on her site as well. So and then when the book comes out, hopefully we'll all be aware of it since we'll be following you everywhere. Uh, oh, you're amazing. <laughs> yeah, very much look forward to that. But yeah, thank you again for, you know, putting so much heart into this work and uh, just helping us care more about it, right? Like, really, that's why I said at the beginning, like, let's create some pain because I, I yeah. need it and I think we all need it so that we can overcome that annoying, dull hum of I just am tired all the time and I'm kind of bleh. And yeah. uh, my invitation is hopefully you do dive in head first and get into the wonderful world of sleep optimization and sleep, sleep as a skill, sleep health. And uh, I I hope you're all very happy for it. So thank you, Molly, for being here. Thank you, Nick. You're amazing. Thank you for taking the time and creating a forum like this and sharing yourself vulnerably. It's just incredible. All right. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Dream Beyond. I hope that you received whatever message or inspiration you were meant to get from today's episode. I had a great time recording it for you. If you love the show, please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review it. That really helps get the word out. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Instagram.com slash Nick Tarasio, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Nick Tarasio, or YouTube.com slash N Tarasio.